sir. Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to have everybody uh, all together in one service, and we'll look forward to being one big happy family over the summer. This will be fun. Uh, if you would like, you can turn to Matthew 23. And uh, before we get there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background and context, because this is a sermon... I guess it's always good to tell people where you're going, but uh, this one especially, it's good to have a little bit of background because it's all full of woe and uh, ends with people going to hell. Um, and uh, it really strikes kind of close to home because this is Jesus speaking against the Pharisees and speaking against religion. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're part of a religion. And it's one of the great ironies of history that Jesus, the founder of the world's largest religion, actually hated religion and he actually spent most of his time most of his energy speaking negatively was not spent speaking against the big sinners people that were selling out to culture people that were making compromises um, morally or something the main person the main group of people that Jesus attacked over and over and over to the point that today they've become a byword even for people that have no idea about the context the people he attacked were the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, just to give you a bit of background, um, after the Old Testament closed, closes with the Jewish people going to Babylon, coming back, they established their own nation. And for the 400 years between the two Testaments, Israel was this tiny little nation that was always controlled by a larger power, uh, except for a very small, short time under the Maccabees. And these larger powers were always trying to change them, always trying to push their culture onto them. And around the time of Jesus, it was the Greek, Greco-Roman culture that was trying to push their culture onto them, trying to push, um, you know, relaxed ethical codes, and trying to push worship of different gods, and trying to push materialism, and trying to push these different things. And the Jewish people resisted. Some people sold out to this, and some people resisted. And the avant-garde of the resistance were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees uh, were the leaders of the synagogues in the small towns. If you want to think about a pastor in a small town, that would be a very close equivalent to what a Pharisee was. And these were people that would memorize the Old Testament, what we call them the Old Testament, and they would try and apply it to their lives, and they would devote their lives to faithfulness and saying, look, we need to resist this cultural influence, we need to be faithful to the word of God. And so it's shocking, it's surprising that Jesus comes on the scene and he doesn't critique the tax collectors who are selling out financially to the Romans. He doesn't critique you know, the prostitutes and the people that are overtly sinning, that are selling out morally. Uh, and he doesn't even critique the Sadducees very much. They were the people in charge of the temple and there was tons of corruption going on. But Jesus barely touched on that, except for cleansing the temple, which I suppose was a big deal. But the main person he attacked was the country parson, the Joe Blow, ordinary person that's trying to call us to faithfulness to the word. And this was so surprising that uh, this past year, as we had, the Bible, had a Bible study at our home, um, as we were discussing scriptures and various people were bringing up different things, uh, one girl who is relatively new to the faith said, I just can't get over Jesus and how much he hated the Pharisees. And he just, through this chapter, just goes over and over and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Over and over and over. Uh, and it kind of just ramps up and ramps up until towards the end he calls them serpents. 
and says, how will you escape the sentence of hell? She was just like, what's going on? Um, and so I thought this would be an interesting uh, chapter to look at. And the more that I studied it, the more I felt like this really um, hits me close to home. And I think this is something that all of us need to hear. How Jesus critiqued religion and how Jesus was providing a better way. So we're going to read through this entire chapter. And I'm going to have going to let Jesus do most of the talking and then we're going to do some, um, some commentary along the way. So Matthew 23, 1, Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that, you tell, all that they tell you to do, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. So this is the first thing that we're finding out about the Pharisees. These are the people that are reading God's word that has been given to us, the Old Testament that they have. And so Jesus said, listen to these people when they speak, but don't do what they do. Don't imitate them. Why? Because they say things and then don't do them. What do we call this? Hypocrisy. They tell you to do things, but then they don't do them. They're hypocrites. The second thing that these people do is they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. There's something about this way of doing religion that makes it heavy and heavy and heavy, and it gets heavier and it gets more and more burdensome on people. And who is causing it to be more and more burdensome? It's the religious leaders. It's the, the person up front talking. It's, it's, it's the priest in this case, or the, the rabbi. I mean. One really good example of this is the Sabbath. Now, when God set up the Old Testament, and when God gave his covenant to his people, he said, look, take one day off, okay? One day of the week, have a break. Take it off. Rest. And this is so important and crucial for, for all of us to know that we need to have a day off to rest. It's, it's, it's been proven scientifically that if you don't rest, you know, there's all these bad things that happen. But through all these rules and regulations and making things more complicated than they had to be, this day off became something that was even harder than a regular day where you couldn't even spit on the ground because your spittle might plow in the dust. And you couldn't be, um, you couldn't w walk through a grain field, for example, and just pluck some grain and, and pluck it if you're hungry. Um, another time Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath and got in, in big trouble because healing, even miraculously, was supposed to be work. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move so much as a finger. This, this type of religion makes religion burdensome and heavy and hard for people. Verse 5. They do their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. So this first bit here, they do their deeds to be noticed by men. We're going to see this coming up over and over and over. That there's something about the way that these people were doing religion that was so that people would say, look at that person, notice that person. And everything about how they were doing stuff was to be noticed. And it was for the appraisal and the approval of men. And he has two examples here. They brought in their phylacteries. Now, in the Old Testament... God was trying to impress on his people, you need to prioritize the word that I'm giving to you. This word is life, this word is truth, it will, it will bless you. And God said, bind it on your foreheads and 
write it on your hands and talk it, put it above your doorposts and as you're rising and as you're going, whatever you do, have this word close to you. And so the Jews took him literally and they actually put little boxes with part of the Old Testament in it and, and put it on their head or else on their hand. You still see Orthodox Jews doing this today. They're called phylacteries. And I don't think the, that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But look, they're, they're making theirs bigger. Their phylacteries, my phylactery is bigger than your phylactery. And, and it's becoming this, this one-upmanship thing where I'm more religious than you are. Look, at, look, how, look how big this one is. Look how big that one is. Um, as well in the Old Testament, God told his people to wear tassels at the edge of their garment. And do you still see Orthodox shoes wearing a tassel? Nothing wrong with that. Just a symbol of who they are, that they're uh, people set apart to God. But they're making theirs a little bit longer. Just, just my, my tassels are a little longer than your tassels. I'm a little bit more religious than you are. <coughs> Again, trying to be noticed by men. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. And there are respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by men. Now, there's nothing wrong with honoring people. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, this is, this is somebody that serves God, let's listen to him. But these people are going out of their way. This is what gets them up in the morning, is having these respectful greetings and having this acclamation and this praise. This is what they live for. And Jesus continues, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. This is why Christians often call each other brother and sister. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So then he gets into eight woes that he's going to speak against the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you go allow those who are entering to go in. So we get this mental picture. Elsewhere in, uh, in Jesus' teaching, he talked about a narrow way. There's a narrow way, and few there are that find it that goes to life. But there's a broad way, and many are there that go to destruction. So he has this, this idea of there's this narrow way, but standing in front of that narrow way is a Pharisee, is somebody that has this attitude, external religion, trying to impress people, trying to one-upmanship with religion. And they themselves aren't going into the kingdom. And they're blocking people from coming in. Have you guys experienced this sometime in your life? Sometimes the very person you would expect to bring you into the kingdom is the person that's, that's blocking it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour women's widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. The most vulnerable people in that society were widows. Because men provided, men had all the voting power, men had all the power in society. If a man died leaving a widow behind who did not have sons, she was extremely, incredibly vulnerable uh, to lose her possessions because she had nobody to advocate for her in court. And so she would be easy prey to somebody that unscrupulously would want to take her house in possessions because she wouldn't have anybody to advocate for her. And Jesus is saying, look, you scribes and Pharisees are doing this. You're taking advantage of little old ladies. And then you stand up in your synagogue and you give this long flowing prayer as though you're the most religious person around. 
And when you have seen this, and sometimes um, things come out about people that you, you thought were religious, and when you find out what goes on behind the scenes, you realize um, that there's things that just make you sick. And this is the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about. External religion, but behind the doors, what's, what's in secret is not good. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, that's one convert, and then he becomes, when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. We're going to see Jesus is kind of ramping up his language as he goes. He's getting more and more frustrated at these people that he is talking about. He's saying, look, you're going out and you're trying to make people look like you, be like you, but you're not going into the kingdom. You're not trying to get people into the kingdom. You're trying to create your own little kingdom of little mini-me's or, or little people that look like you uh, and that are twice as bad as you. And then there's a longer section here. I'm just going to summarize it. Uh, Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the goal of the temple is obligated. And then he goes on uh, a fairly lengthy part that I'm just going to summarize and saying it was important for them to have some way of in legal transactions saying, when I say this, I'm speaking the truth. They didn't have lawyers. They didn't have some of the structures we had. And so they would say, I swear by the temple or I swear by the altar or something like that. And these religious people would find loopholes in that and say, well... Basically, a religious way of crossing their fingers to say, well, I, I swore by the temple, but I didn't swear by the gold of the temple, so I can get out of this contract. And it was kind of this religious way of getting what they wanted and looking holy at the same time. Well, didn't you know you weren't supposed to do it that way? You're supposed to do it this way. And they get out of their contract and they look holy and the whole thing is just despicable in God's sight. And Jesus says... Uh, after he, he goes through about um, the temple and the gold, he says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else comes from evil. When you say something, just speak the truth. Instead of trying to do these loopholes and saying, well, I swore, but I didn't really swear. So there's lies hidden in religious language. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill, these are plants that they would grow in their garden, and come in, and have neglected the weightier provision, provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But the, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now this part is just so rich. I, I was excited to get to this part because it's so, uh, it's so rich in visual cues. So a camel would be the largest unclean animal that they knew of. Um, I suppose an elephant is unclean and larger, but you know, within their world, a camel was kind of the biggest you could go. And a gnat was also unclean. Um, and it was probably about the smallest they could get. And so he says, so if you can imagine people trying really hard to be ritually clean, they wouldn't want to accidentally swallow a gnat. Has anybody here swallowed a gnat? Sometimes you're out in the bush. Yeah, tree planting. Yeah, it happens. Um, so if you swallowed a gnat, technically you'd be unclean till evening, which is a long time. Um, and so they, 
they'd be, you know, straining their water and, and trying to get the gnats out so that it wouldn't become ritually unclean. This is actually probably something they would do, the really religious ones. But Jesus says, but you swallow a camel. Now he's using hyperbole, of course, you can't actually swallow a camel. But the idea is, you're, you're so focused on these tiny little things that you're completely missing this huge thing that you should be doing. So what are the tiny things he talks about? He says, you're out there in your garden and you got your mint plant that's going up and you got the little leaves. We just found, we have mint in our backyard, we're excited. Um, but, but they're saying, well, I've got 13 leaves on this mint, mint plant. Well, one for God. And I've got, you know, 17 leaves on this plant. Well, two for God. And, and they're, they're that focused on following the law because for them, you're, you are supposed to give 10% to God. In the New Testament, it's whatever your heart, God lays on your heart. But we are supposed to give back to God. Um, but they're so focused on being so precise that they're tithing the leaves of their mint plants. And they're coming. Now, isn't coming like super tiny? Yeah, I think it is. Um, but what they're neglecting is justice and mercy and faithfulness. And they should know that this is what religion is all about. Because God said in Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what the law is supposed to be about. This is what the whole idea that God communicated to us throughout from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? As most of you know, and we're going to recite it later in our liturgy. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. For in these two commandments are summarized all the law and the prophets. So yes, tithing is good. Tithing is important. But what's far more important is love, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And as Jesus said elsewhere, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God hates this kind of false religion. This sort of externalism. This sort of, as uh, I forget where, but somewhere in one of the prophets, God said, my soul despises the one who says, get away from me, I am too holy for you. That sort of thing just makes God's skin crawl. That idea of, oh, I'm better than you, I'm holier than you, I've got more religious clothes than you, I pray longer prayers than you. When we're not focusing on the things that really matter. Loving God, loving our neighbor. In Isaiah 10, 110, God says, Who required of you this trampling of my courts? Uh, it's as though God is saying, I wish you would just stop. Stop all this religious stuff. Stop coming to church if it's not making a difference in your day-to-day -day lives. So let's continue. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 25. Hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Robbery, taking what isn't yours. Self-indulgence. All focused on me, all self-centered, all comes back to me. This narcissistic, self-centered, all about me attitude. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside may be clean also. 
Now I'm kind of thirsty, so I keep drinking from this. And if I had this outside and went out camping and the outside was all scuffed up and muddy and dirty and everything like that, would, would you, if you were really thirsty, would you drink from it? Even if my lips were on it? That's how thirsty, probably. Ask if I had a cold first. If I went down to the river and, and scooped up a bunch of muddy water from there, but the outside is nice and clean, then would you want to take a drink? Well, clearly not. Clearly not. This reminds me, I need to lighten it up a little bit. I was on a camping trip one time. Uh, this is one of the first long camping trips I went on. Came, I live up north and used to live up north and we went on a lot. And um, we, we camped on a beaver pond. This, you know, the water wasn't moving a lot. But we had to fill up our canteen somewhere and we had iodine drops we put in it to make it, you know, purify the water. And I got through most of the second day and I was thinking, you know, as I drink, there's kind of these gelatin things that come in my mouth. But, you know, whatever. And eventually I realized, I'm pretty sure those are leeches' eggs that I've been drinking all day. So I dumped it out and filled up my water in the middle of the lake and uh, it was a lesson learned. Anyways. No untoward effects. I'm sure the protein uh, helped me through the day. Um, but the point here is that Jesus is saying, look, you guys look so good on the outside. You got the phylacteries, you got the religious, you know, prayers. People are saying, you know, hi, rabbi, in the street. People think that you're doing so good. But what's going on inside? What's going on inside? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So it's like a tomb. I mean, we make tombs look nice, right? We spend a lot of money on a nice tombstone that's going to last a long time. And Jesus is saying, look, you Pharisees, you look really good on the outside. But inside, there's hypocrisy. Inside, there's this attitude of trying to make yourself look good so people will think you're special. But really, you're not, you're, you're not following what you actually preach. And lawlessness. What can I get away with? What can I get away with? You're focused on yourself, your personal desires, stealing whatever you can. And just focus on what you can get away with in a lawless way. While trying to look holy and special. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Okay, now there's a long section here. Um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. I'll just read it and then I'll explain it. I say, and you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers... We would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Okay, so Jesus is ramping up and now he's at the max. Saying, look, you guys are a brood of vipers and you're going to hell. And... It took me a long time, actually it's been years, and it's finally become clear what exactly Jesus is saying here. Because it seems like he's, he's attacking the Pharisees just because of who their parents were. And it's very clear in the Old Testament that the son shall not be put to death for his father, nor the father for his sons. So they shouldn't have the guilt of their fathers on them. 
But I think what, what, they're say, what they're doing here, what these Pharisees are doing, is they're saying, we are on the right side of history. You heard this sometimes in, in Facebook debates and different things. We are on the right side of history. It's kind of like today, everybody, whether Republican or Democrat, whether Christian or secular, everybody thinks that it was their ancestors that are responsible for the abolition of the slave trade and for racial equality. And you'll hear people say, well, you know, the Republicans did this, this is the Republican thing, and the Democrats will say, no, it was us, we did it. And you'll, again, you'll hear Christians say this was you know, Wilberforce, and it was the Christians that did this. And secular people will say, well, look at the, look, look at the South, it was the secularists that, that caused this. So, not to get distracted with that, but what these people are saying is, we are the next generation of prophets. We are the ones that God likes. We are the ones that are speaking truth to our generation. Uh, we are the ones naming our sons, you know, Elisha and Elijah and, and whatever, because we are in continuity with these prophets back then. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you're not on the right side of history. You are like the people that put those people to death. You are not the good guys in this story. You are the bad guys in this story. Because you're focused on external religion, and these prophets and the good kings and the saints of old were focused on the heart. David said in Psalm 51, search, no, David said somewhere, search my heart and see if there is any untrue way in me. And in Psalm 51 he said, sacrifices and burnt offerings you have not required. Rather a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, is what you have asked. So what do we do with this? I guess maybe we just should stop coming to church. Would that solve the problem if we just didn't go to church? I see some nods and smiles. Okay. Problem solved. Stop going to church. There will be no more religious hypocrisy anywhere. Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but people can be kind of self-righteous outside the church too. People can be very self-righteous about their environmental policies, about how they raise their kids, about how they do you know, physical fitness or eating, what pink drink they might happen to be drinking that week, and you're not drinking that week. In fact, if you're like me, you might have learned that there are certain things you just don't talk about on Facebook because you will be judged and you'll be critiqued. And people will tell you, that's not how you do it. You have to do it my way, not your way. And really, this, this religious thing of putting some people down, lifting myself up, saying I'm better than you, prioritizing, straining out the gnat, swallowing a camel. Just a side note here, I think it illustrates it well. How many health nuts and environmentalists are so aware of where their coffee comes from? I mean, their coffee... Like, it's like they went down to South America and sh shook the guy's hand, you know, and counted the beans and, and put it in their cup. I mean, this is, like, the coffee is the most ethically fair source, whatever, and the healthiest thing. And then they open a box of crap dinner and, and mix that and eat that, you know? And they have no idea where it came from. They have no idea. It's terrible for you, you know? And we do this all the time. I see some, some smiles back there. We strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, we're, we're focused on one thing that we really excel at, and we put all our pride and self-identity self there. But what's happening over here? What's happening over here? And we're so quick to judge people because they're not doing this little thing that we are. Well, I'm so much better than you. But look at what else is going on in your life. 
I'd like to ask you a question. Are you a good person? I meant to ask this at the beginning. Are you a good person? When I ask that question, there's normally two types of people, maybe three, but two types of people. One, one type of person is going to say, no, I am not really a good person. Some people will say, well, you know, I'm not a bad person. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not quite as good as so-and-so. But, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bad. Not bad. Maybe the third category is people that know the religious answers, so they'll tell me, no, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Um, I'd like to read for you uh, a story here. Find it. No, I think, I think actually I need to skip something here because I realize that my time is going very quickly. Um, what can we do in response to this? What can we do? Because I think that this, this hits very close to home. And for sure, like, I feel very awkward preaching this because Jesus was speaking against people like me. People were speaking against religious leaders like me. And it's very easy and very common when you are the person telling people what to do to start to kind of prop yourself up. And when people say, well, good job, pastor, good job, not that I'm a pastor. Um, but but you, you can accept that. You can live for that. You can, that can make you feel really good. So what, what are the sorts of things we can do? We need to listen to what Jesus said, Jesus' critique of religion. We need to become, as Jesus says, Become like little children. And if you think about it, becoming like a little child is the opposite direction of religion. It's the opposite direction of becoming more sophisticated and finding better answers for uh, why I'm a good person. And um, the opposite direction of moving towards pride. We need to have a simple faith. We need to have um, a simple ability to say, I was wrong. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. Augustine said at one point that we need to descend from ourselves so that we can rise to God. We need to descend. We need to become like little children. And we need to repent. Um, there, there's a passage that I didn't write down here, but there's a well-known story of um, there's a, a Pharisee and a tax collector went to the temple to pray. And uh, the Pharisee, Jesus said, this is a, not a real story, but an example. And Jesus said that the Pharisee prayed to himself saying, I thank you, Lord, that I am righteous and that I tithe regularly and that I do all these good things. And I'm not like this sinner over here, this tax collector, uh, but that I'm a good person. Whereas the tax collector, standing a long ways off, says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of these left justified? It was the tax collector who recognized he was a sinner who came and repented. And we need to be like that tax collector, recognizing I am a sinner. I have done wrong. Um, and not comparing ourselves to others to try and, and lift ourselves up. <coughs> Martin Luther said that there are many religions of works. And he would have said that all the religions of the world, including very often Christianity and many forms of Christianity, are religions of works. 
What does it mean to be a Christian? Here's the rules. Here's the things you do. You don't drink. You don't chew. You don't smoke. You don't girl, go with girls that do, right? You don't listen to rock music. You don't have long hair, right? Some of us have heard this, you know, and, and along with that, there are some good rules about, you know, sex is for marriage and, you know, you should read your Bible. You should pray. And, you know, these are, these are not bad things. But ultimately, what God is after is our heart. It's not about these rules, unless these rules help us get to our heart. And Martin Luther said there's many religions of works where there's this long list of rules, things you need to do, and maybe at the end of it, maybe you'll have reconciliation with God. Maybe at the end of it, you'll have peace with God. Maybe at the end of it, uh, you'll have salvation. Whereas Christianity, what is earth-shattering about Christianity is that Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. And so we come to Jesus as that tax collector, as that sinner, as that person that knows he did wrong. And we say, forgive me, for I have sinned. And we begin with forgiveness. And we begin with salvation. And from there, we try and follow Jesus. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, Loving God with all our heart mind, soul, and strength. So if I could close here, I have just three things to share for different categories of people. For those who have been hurt by religion, are there people that have been hurt by religion in this room? I'm speaking fast, I'm speaking just from my mind, but this, this is an honest, heartfelt thing. That sometimes, as I mentioned off the top, that very person that should be leading you to Christ stands in the way and says no with their life with their hypocrisy with with the things that are going on and for people like that I'd like to give you the verse Matthew eleven twelve. from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. This is a verse that a lot of people, when they read it, are like, I have no idea what this is talking about, because it just kind of jumps out of nowhere. But what I have always taken this verse to mean is, if you want something, you got to take it. If you want a relationship with God, you got to take it. If you want to have a vibrant spiritual life, in spite of what has happened you got to take it. And some of the most courageous people I know are people that have suffered and have been hurt by people that were in religious positions and have said, no, I'm not going to let the rest of my life be defined by this person. I'm going to have a relationship with God in spite of what, they, what has happened, in spite of what has been modeled for me in the name of Christianity. And it's probably worth saying that I'm sorry for what has happened in the name of Christianity. Um, many things that have been done have not been right. And many wounds that were caused were very, very wrong. For those who are who, who see ourselves in this passage, I see myself all over in this ba 